Well, welcome. We are uh, closer now to spring break than we've ever been before. So uh, be encouraged there. Right around the corner. Right around the corner. That was a great song, wasn't it? Good night. That's a good song. Good song. Um, tonight we're gonna we're gonna look at a, a subject um, that um, hopefully uh, will be helpful uh, to you as we kind of move into spring break. Uh, we're not going to be looking at uh, some things about conferences. We're not going to be looking at different things. We're going to be looking at uh, relationships. Uh, particularly, we're going to be looking at tonight just uh, some observations uh, about uh, observations on romantic relationships. And so, if you're thinking like, uh, what, "What is that?" then you know. We need to chat um, because, uh, yeah, I mean, what I'm really talking about there is like, you know, uh, these are like uh, like dating relationships. These are like, you know, relationships where you're like, you know, thinking, oh, yeah, okay, I remember that concept. Um, but, yeah, uh, you're going to be at various stages, all of you. I know some of you uh, are dating. Some of you are not. Some of you uh, are thinking about that. Some of you remember it and, and shudder. You just have all sorts of differences there. But, uh we're going to look at that uh, tonight and try to see some things that God might want to say to us. So before we do, let's take a minute. Let's just pray and um, ask God to teach us some things. So, um, Father, as we look into your word, uh, thank you that um, you've given us men, you've given us women uh, throughout your word who um, provide examples, both uh, rich examples, both uh, for good as well as for bad, but all that can be learned from. Father, help us to uh, take and, and glean from your word the things you want us to. Father, help us to, to really take um, you seriously, knowing that, Father, you, you give us commands um, to protect us and to provide for us. And uh, anytime we look at them, oftentimes they look like uh, limitations and they're actually uh, invitations into a much better life. And so, Father, help us to hear your word, to see your word that way, and help us to take it and uh, put it into practice. And we pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, the Bible, uh, sometimes you're thinking about dating, you're thinking, does the Bible have anything to say on date? No, not really. Uh, it doesn't really have anything to say on dating. Uh, it does have a lot to say about relationships that give us some direction on that. So it has a lot of things to say about that. So that's some of the things we're going to look at now. We're going to look at two examples. And, I mean, we are taking, like, the, the prime two examples out of Scripture, if you take Jesus out for a little bit. And, uh, you know, no, we're going to take Jesus out of Scripture. I'm not saying that. But, I mean, these are, like, two of the big heroes in Scripture. Uh, one of them, you know, the uh, wisest man who ever lived in the world. Uh, and the other, uh, the man about whom it was said, this is a man after my own heart. God himself speaking uh, about David there. So we're going to look at some of them tonight. So we're going to start tonight. If you have your Bibles and you want to open them up, we're going to look there in 1 Kings 11. If you don't, you can follow along on the screen. But in 1 Kings 11, 1 through 3, it says this. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord God had said to him, you shall not, had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor they with you, for they will surely turn your hearts away after their gods. Yet Solomon held fast to these in love, and he had 700 wives and princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned his heart away. 
So the first thing that I want us to see, the first observation, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to do something that you can do any day of the week. You can simply open up the Bible and begin to read, and you can begin to make observations. Uh, you begin to look at it and note things that it's talking about. So the very first one, romantic love can be contrary to God's will. Romantic love can be contrary to God's will. Now, we tend to think something like this. You know, God is love. Love is of God. We're in love. It must be of God. Uh, you know, it seems so logical to us. And that's how we think a lot of times. The problem is uh, that's just not really the case. The foundation for a relationship um, is the will of God, not are we in love. And so one of the things you want to begin to look at as you're thinking about relationships is, you know, is this something that's really, you know, centered in the will of God? Like um, years ago, there was this uh, gal, her name was uh, Leela, and she worked for a guy named Dawson Trotman, and she was his secretary. And one day, you know, Dawson comes in and says to her, she was all excited. She was journeying around planning her wedding. She'd been planning her wedding for a while, you know, and they were doing all kinds of stuff. And Dawes comes in, and he says to her one day, he says, you know, Leela, are you, are you sure God's in this? And she says, uh, well, Dawes, what are you talking about? He goes, well, I, you know, I, I, I mean, everybody's been busy. I haven't had a chance to really ask you that, but are, are you sure God's in this? She goes, Dawson, we, uh, we've already sent out all the invitations. We've already, uh, we've already gotten presents in. Um, the wedding's in two weeks. He goes, um, yeah. Are you sure God's in this? And she's like, uh, <laughs> Dawson, do you understand? I mean, uh, I mean, we've already got, you know, the, the honeymoon planned. We've already got this. We've already, I mean, we've got all these plans in place, Dawson. He said, yeah, that's not what I ask. What I ask is, are you sure God's in this? And for her, she had enough emotional maturity and spiritual maturity about her that she said, you know, I'm not sure he is. I've, uh, I'm just really not sure. So she stepped back, canceled the wedding, called it off for a while, stepped back away from that relationship and decided, you know, she really needed to hear from God before she made that decision. Well, a few months passed by, a few more months passed by, and they were having this conference set at the Glen and uh, Castle up in Colorado. And they were having this conference and guys were coming in from all over the world to be a part of that. And, um, this one, she was helping to coordinate the conference, and there was this one guy come in named Doug Sparks. And so Doug was there, and he said, um, hey, um, as he got to know her a little bit during the conference that week, he said, would you mind if I actually began to write you a little bit? He was headed back to Europe, and she was like, uh, oh, no, I guess that would be fine. So uh, they began to correspond back and forth. And over the course of several months, they got to know one another quite well, and and. Several more months passed by. Finally, it had been just about a year. They were writing back and forth. And he writes her a letter one day and says, uh, quotes this verse, says, one shall chase a thousand and two shall put 10,000 to flight. I wondered if you might want to be my wife. I think we could accomplish twice as much together as we could apart. And she writes back, you know, Merry Christmas. Yes. You know, and so uh, he's like, ah. and they got married. Now, Leela what they didn't know, you know, was about, <clears throat> excuse me, about 15 years later, she was going to pass away from cancer. And she was like 
40, about 43, 44, somewhere right in there. She died in her mid-40s of cancer. But before she did, she had the opportunity with Doug to open up the several countries, like I think it was like five different countries in Europe to the gospel by you know going in and discipling uh, women and him discipling men and going throughout there. She had the opportunity to do that for a life that had tremendous impact. Now, the other guy that she was going to marry, he wasn't a bad guy. I mean, he was a, you know, he was a decent guy. Um, he ended up being a fuller brush salesman in California. Nothing wrong with fuller brush salesmen. People need fuller brushes. But you know what? If she would have not asked herself those questions that day, she would have given up some maximum impact that her life was going to have for the kingdom just because it might be inconvenient to make a different choice. So you want to realize as you're thinking about things, the main question is not do we love each other, but it's is it God's will? Is it God's will? A couple of ways you can figure that out. One, is the relationship glorifying to God? You know, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Another question you can ask yourself, is it mutually encouraging and edifying to each person? If it's not, you probably want to rethink that some. You know, probably want to look at that a little bit. So romantic love can be contrary to God's will. Second thing. You need to decide in advance the kind of person God wants you to date. You need to decide in advance the kind of person God wants you to date. Now, Solomon, oh, if he would have done that, he would have been so much better off. I mean, God had clearly said to Solomon in his word, these are the people not to date. Here are some standards I have for you. You know what? God's word is still just as clear today. You go to the scriptures to figure out what those standards are. You know, while the scriptures don't have a lot to say about dating per se, they have a tremendous amount to say about the kind of people we should be becoming and the kind of people we should be linking our lives with. And so as you look at that, begin to go there. Now, what I would tell you is this. A lot of times people go, when, when do you think, like, when's a good time to date? A lot of times what they're asking is, when am I ready to date? You know what? When you've done this, you're ready to date. When you've actually gone to the scriptures and figured out what kind of person should I be dating and what kind of person should I be, then you're ready to date. If you haven't, eh, you're not old enough to date. Don't do that. So, uh, you know, now why would you go to the word of God and look things up? Why would you actually determine those things from the word of God? Well, a couple of reasons. One, the word of God is eminently trustworthy. You know, Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So, you know, you want to really look and figure out, okay, God's word will give us a standard that's not going to change. It's going to be the same all the time. So you look at that. But the second reason is just the principle of propinquity. Now, who knows, who knows what propinquity means? We, have, we must have some scholars in here somewhere. Who knows what propinquity is? Anybody? Mm. No propinquity, people. Okay. 
Well, basically what it's talking about is, you know, nearness of, of, of time, space, nearest person. The principle of propinquity says this. Proximity is the most powerful predictor of liking other people. Now, have you ever noticed this? Have you ever gone to a small town and you see some girl and you think, oh my gosh, I mean, God worked overtime there. I mean, she is just like drop dead gorgeous. And then you see this guy walk out and he's like, hey, (laughs) and you think, Gomer, how are you? Uh, And he's like, good. And then you find out they're together and you're going, how did that principle of propinquity? They were just around each other enough that like, looks pretty good, I guess. Not much other to look at here, you know. I mean, what you'll find is, I mean, fence posts begin to look good if you're around them long enough. You just look there, you know, you think, that guy, you know, I mean, he doesn't look very good. You know, I mean, but what you want to find is you don't want to make a decision on somebody you want to spend your life with by just, am I around them a lot? That's a horrible way to make a choice. Instead, go to God's word, figure out what does God's word have to say. That way you decide you don't just settle. Okay? So decide in advance the kind of person God wants you to date. Second observation. Third observation, it is possible to be in love with more than one person. Did you see what it said about Solomon? He loved many foreign women. uh, 1,000 to be exact. Many foreign women. Now, that is an encouragement, and that's a warning. If you're single, that's an encouragement. You know, if you're thinking, oh, my gosh, my one true love, I had them, you know, but then, you know, what do you know? You know, they, they got married to somebody else. They were only on TV anyway, but still, they got married to somebody else, and now I just know, you know, We're just not going to be together. You know, the notebook will not be written. Uh, I just know that's going to happen. Well, be encouraged. It's possible to love more than one person. That's also a warning, though. You know, if you're in a relationship or you're married or you're, you know, somewhere along there, it's possible to love more. So, therefore, you need to watch how you conduct yourself. It is possible to love more than one person. There was one guy I knew in college. He found the right girl three times during our sophomore year. (laughs) Three different girls. In fact, one day I was talking to this girl that was the third girl, and she said, I was at the cafeteria, and I was eating, and she said, um, she was talking about this guy, and she said, oh, he's wonderful, he's great. You know, he was talking to me, he said, he just, you know, it's amazing how God just brought us together. I said, "Uh uh-huh. And she goes, yeah, he said that I'm, yeah, I'm special. I'm kind of the one. I said, uh-huh. And she said, you don't, you don't seem encouraged by that. And I said, yeah, you're the third one. That's the one. So, uh, you know, and she was like, what? And I thought, eh, I've said enough. Uh, so, uh, you know, but I thought to myself, run, run quick, run away, leave, go, stay not around. But, um, yeah, it is possible to be in love with more than one person. You want to be aware of that. Number four, romantic love outside of God's will does not satisfy. Romantic love outside of God's will does not satisfy. Now, you know, sometimes 
we read the Bible, and, and we don't really think about what we're reading sometimes. I mean, sometimes we just read it, especially if we read, like, part of it at one time and part of it another time, part of it another time, like Solomon. Now, Solomon wrote several things. Solomon wrote uh, the Proverbs. I mean, the wisest man that ever lived, you'd expect that. Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. He went through a period of, you know, being depressed. Uh, if you read that, you're depressed. But, I mean, you know, you read Ecclesiastes. Uh, Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. Now, there you go. See, people look at that, and they're like, oh, I like Song of Solomon. Of course you do. You know, you like the R-rated parts of the Bible. It's just, you know, kind of a, kind of racy there, you know. But you read Song of Solomon, and here's what you'll find. Like, you look at Song of Solomon, um, like in Song of Solomon 6-9. Read this verse right here. This, he says, but my dove, my perfect one, is unique. You got to look at that word unique. Anyway, is unique. She is her mother's only daughter. She is the pure child of the one who bore her. The maiden saw her and called her blessed. Now, you know what? If someone wrote something like this about you, what would you think? Would you think like, oh, look at that. My gosh, look how, look how special I am to them. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, my gosh, that's, the guy can write, can he? I mean, he ought to be in Hallmark or something, you know, oh, my, little, my little dove. You ought to read the verse before this, though, verse 8. There are 60 queens, <laughs> 80 concubines, maidens without number. But you, you're the special one, number 141. In fact, you are so special that there's just going to be 859 more after you. That's how special you are. Now, I don't know about you, but most of the girls I meet, they're not usually thinking, I hope I'm number 141, you know, or I hope I'm just one of another 859. They actually kind of think a little bit more of themselves than that. You know, physical love, Romantic love outside of God's will, it doesn't satisfy. You keep trying to find the ecstasy. That's the problem we have a lot of times. I'll watch this with guys and gals. They'll get involved with somebody, and then they'll think, oh, my gosh, this just didn't work out. You know what the problem is? The wrong person. I plugged the wrong person into my formula. If I can just plug this new person into my formula, then it's all going to be great. And so they start dating someone else, and then, oh, that didn't work out. If I can just find, though, the right, you know, the problem is it's not you got the wrong person in the formula. You got the wrong formula. See, romantic love outside of God's will, it's never going to satisfy. And some of us, you know, we're like, oh, but I really want a relationship. You know, I do. Well, there's one thing worse than loneliness, and that's regret. So, you know, you would be well to uh, persevere and not settle. Number five. Satan can take a good motive and twist it to serve his purposes. Now, why do you think Solomon married Pharaoh's daughter to start with? You know? It was for a simple reason. Back then, a king would come in and would marry like the daughter of a rival king in another country so that there would be peace. Most kings in other countries aren't planning to come in and kill their grandchildren. And so, therefore, you know, there's peace. And so, it seems to make a lot of sense. I mean, it seems very strategic. 
if you stop and think about it. Now, what do you think, what are some good motives people have today that end up getting twisted sometimes? Things that they think in dating, oh, this seems like a great idea. Can you think of any? I see what you're saying. We don't know where you're headed. We don't know if we want to play. Uh, you ever see this? Someone says, well, you know what? The reason I'm dating him is, you know, I know he's not a believer, but I think I can help him. I'll bet you do. You know, or the reason I'm dating her is, you know, you know, missionary dating. Oh, my gosh. It just seems like such a grand idea. The only problem with that is, boy, the enemy can come in and twist that up. And even though it might have started off as really a good idea in your mind, it gets really messed up. That's exactly what happened to Solomon. Solomon started off thinking, oh, this seems like a good idea. Totally messed him up. The last one with Solomon. A relationship or marriage outside of God's will can turn your heart away from God. A relationship or marriage outside of God's will can turn your heart away from God. You know, a lot of folks start out to live for God and then they get sidetracked. But when you're looking at Solomon, this wasn't just any guy, okay? This is the wisest man who ever lived. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, God has not made that pronouncement over me. Has he made that over you? Or has he even said, the second wisest person who ever lived is, uh, no. He's also not made the pronouncement, you know, here is Neil, a man after my own heart. Now, maybe, you know, a man after Costco hot dogs or something, you know, but I mean, you know, <laughs> his own heart, not, not generally, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, he would, you know, that wouldn't be something he'd come up with. But, you know, you begin to look, these guys are the very ones that got sidetracked. It says of Solomon right there in that verse, his wives turned his heart away. Now, he probably picked up some of those characteristics, quite honestly, from his father, King David. Now, King David was the greatest king in the history of Israel. Whenever you talk to uh, different Jewish folks and they talk about the golden times of Israel and stuff, King David, man, here's the guy. He is ruling, he's reigning, it's King David. Man, he's the man. He's also the guy that God says, man, you know what? There's no one else like my servant David. Here's a man after my own heart. Well, I mean, God, God sets him apart. Yet this is what happens in 2 Samuel 11, verses 1 through 5. When it says, then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him. And they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and was walking about on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. And David sent messengers and inquired about her, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. When she had come to him, he lay with her, and when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her home, and she sent, and she, the woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. Now, this story begins to unravel a kingship for David that had been the, the 
and glory years of Israel at this time. But you can begin to make some observations just out of this passage right here, and you can learn a lot of things that will benefit you. The first one being this, David wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. David wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. Did you see what it said there? Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle. What was David? King. That's right. Where was he supposed to be? In the battle. Where is he? He's in his bunk. He's hanging out at the house. You know I mean? He's just laying around. We open ourselves up to attacks from the enemy by not being where we're supposed to be and by not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And so sometimes people go, I do not know how in the world I ended up in all this trouble. I don't know how my life kind of took this turn. I don't know how it got unraveled. I, and you think, where should you have been? Oh, well, yeah, yeah, okay, I should have been here. I, oh, well, I think that's usually a pretty good reason. You know, you begin to look, you know, there's, there's things that God has for you, and you look at them and you know, that's what I ought to do. That's where I ought to be. And you're going, yeah, but, mm, yeah, mm, but, yeah, I want to. Well, then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle. The second one, laziness and lust go hand in hand. Did you notice that next part? Now, when evening came, David arose. Wow, he was like a college student. You know, uh, when evening came, David decides to get up. What's he doing? David's just lying around, just lying around. You know, when you're just laying around being lazy, have you ever noticed how your mind tends to roam? And usually not to very good places. Just kind of, where did my mind go? Oh, there it is, you know, just roaming about. You know, laziness and lust go hand in hand. Third observation, David had to plan the circumstances. He had to plan the circumstances. Did you notice that? He had to check, find out, okay, who is this? Uh, where is she now? Uh, you know, where's everybody else that's related to this? What's going on here? You know, he had to plan the circumstances. You know what? We do too. Rarely do I find someone who just falls into sin. Rarely do I find someone who just says, you know, I don't know. I was just walking along, having my quiet time, and the next thing I knew, this was just, no, that doesn't work that way. It's like, well, I kind of, you know. And what we usually do is this. We usually begin to toy with an idea in our mind. And then we begin to kind of, you know, maybe act out a little bit. And then we act out a little bit more. If you're beginning to play with ideas in your mind, what you need to realize is this. It's not a question of if, it's just a question of when. You're already beginning to start the things rolling. So you want to make sure that you know you don't do this. That's number three. Number four, there was no indication that Bathsheba discouraged him. Now, David was the king, so we really don't know, you know, how that all worked fully back then. You know, probably... Uh, she didn't have a ton of choice, but, you know, we don't really have anything recorded in Scripture that she tried to do anything to discourage this or dissuade him in any, any which way, as we do with several other cases in Scripture. But, you know, in Matthew eighteen seven, it says, Woe to you who become stumbling blocks for others. Now, 
Women, I, I, I would tell you this sometimes. You know, um, spring at SC is always an interesting time. You can always tell the guys that are trying to walk with God because they're usually staring up around somewhere, you know, bumping into trees and everything else because they're trying not to, you know, notice that, you know, well, what do you know? That's a great outfit she has if she would have brought the other half with her. Um, and, you know, you, you kind of wonder, now, why is this sometimes? Why, why? You know, it's real simple. I mean, do you think sometimes girls dress like that for other girls because they just think the other girls are going to go? That is the cutest half outfit I've ever seen in my life. No. But what you do realize is this. The type of fish you catch will be determined by the type of bait you use. And if you can catch them that way, guess what? Someone else can take them away the same way. So it's a really good idea to think about, you know, hey, what do I want to do here? Because I want to make sure that the way I present myself is a really good way. Now, guys, on the other hand, too often, now the way that you uh, do that is not so much the way you dress, because quite frankly, girls couldn't care less. Um, no, the way that you actually tend to uh, kind of do things like that is in your words. Too often, guys, in your words, you know, you will promise things and um, project things that you just have no clue about, you know. And you will build up this idea like, you know, this relationship or this person or whatever is so much more than it is. Not a good idea. And, you know, what God's thing on that is, he says, you know, do not do that. He says, you know, woe to these stumbling blocks like this. Don't do that. Don't, don't create that kind of a, kind of a uh, problem for someone else. The fifth one on that one. One sin led to another one simple observation if you go on and you read the rest of the passage there which we won't tonight in second samuel what you find is this david gets back and Bathsheba sends the note to him and says hey by the way i'm expecting so david's like oh wow okay what are we going to do about this so he has this great idea he says i know what we'll do um he sends a messenger Go get Uriah. Bring him back. Now that's her husband. He's fighting in the battle where David's supposed to be. Bring Uriah back. And so David has this idea that he's going to get Uriah there. Ask him, you know, I just wanted to find out how the war's going. And then he's going to get Uriah drunk and he's going to send him home. And that he'll go home and he'll sleep with his wife. And then, you know, um, he'll come back from the battle and, you know, and... You know, looks like, hey, the baby came a little bit early. What do you know? Look, you know. And so uh, that's kind of his plan. But he, he does all of that. He gets Uriah in. He, he gets him drunk. He sends him home. And he walks out the next day. And laying there on his front porch is Uriah. And he goes, I, I thought I sent you home. And he goes, like I would go home and enjoy the comforts of my home when all of Israel is out fighting. That will not happen. I'm loyal to you. And David's like, so he tries it again. Same result. So he wraps up a little note and he says, take this note back to Joab, who's over the army. And the note says, Joab, I want you to take Uriah, put him at the front of the troops, charge the wall, and then everybody pull back and leave Uriah alone. And that's exactly what they do. And the people from the wall kill Uriah. 
And then David, David, it looks like, what a great king he is. I mean, people look at him because people hear about Uriah dying. Now, Joab knows. The rest of them don't. But Uriah dies, and what does David do? David marries his widow, and everyone goes, what a great guy. What a great guy. I mean, taking up the widow of one of his slain soldiers, isn't he a great guy? And she's expecting, oh, Uriah had a kid coming. He didn't even know that, you know. Everybody's applauding David until Nathan the prophet comes along and says, um, you know, we got a little bit of a problem here. And he explains everything to David and he says, uh, David, what do you think we ought to do about this? And David says, well, whoever did this should be judged. And he says, you're the guy. And what you find from that point on is the son that is born to Bathsheba dies. All of David's sons follow in his footsteps. And there's war within his household throughout his sons killing one another from that point forward. You know, all of those things grew out of the very start. He wasn't where he should have been when he should have been there. The sixth and last. <clears throat> David was totally, <coughs> excuse me, David was totally forgiven. In fact, if you read Psalm 51, um, you know, David prays and he says, you know, God, cleanse me and um, I'll be white as snow. God, would you do this? And, and God does. You know, he, he totally cleanses him. Unfortunately, forgiveness and consequences don't always match up. David was totally forgiven, but he lived with the consequences of his sin for the rest of his life. Now, men and women, what I would tell you is this. A lot of times we have the idea, well, you know, I mean, God's gracious, right? I mean, isn't God gracious? Yeah, he is. But you know what? There's consequences to our actions. And so what David found was that in his personal life, in his family life, he lived with, with just uh, a, a heavy heart the rest of his life because of choices that he made. So what are some things to consider? Well, let me give you four. One, the person you are going to marry is alive and walking around somewhere today. Therefore, that is, of course, unless you're going to marry a very young person. So, uh, you know, they're, they're alive and walking around somewhere today. And so, therefore, you know, you can begin to pray for them. Now, I know that, you know, Melinda, when she was young... Um, she actually did that. You know, when she was young and she had come to faith, you know, she used to, uh, she used to pray like that. I mean, she would pray things like, you know, now, God, I am taller. And, uh, you know, I would like it if uh, you would provide someone who's tall because that would be helpful. And, you know, God, it would be good if he's funny. And, you know, God, it would be good if he was handsome and God said two out of three. And so, uh, you know, 
And so, you know what? She rolled the dice. Uh, she came up with tall and funny. And so, uh, but you know, you have that opportunity. You can begin to pray right now for uh, your future mate. Second thing to consider, you know, it should be an honor to date you. Whether you're a guy or whether you're a girl, it should be an honor to date you. Now, let, let me talk to the guys for a second. You, you know, guys, if you're not treating whatever girl you're dating with honor, like it is an honor to date her, stop being a chump. My gosh, step up. You know, that's, that's how you ought to treat her. You ought to treat her with honor because it is an honor to date her. And girls, um, likewise, but also, let me give you a little hint. Like, if a guy asks you out, your initial response, while you may not want to go out, shouldn't be like, oh, my gosh, what would he ask me out for? Uh, but it should be uh, more like, you know, it's an honor that he asked me out. And so you ought to do an honorable thing. And if you don't want to go out with him, then, you know, just let him know that instead of saying, well, yeah, this is another night that I'm washing my hair. I'm sorry. <laughs> tenth time you've called. Tenth time I've washed it. You know, uh, but, you know, uh, you know, instead just say, hey, you know what? I, I really appreciate that. I, you know, I really do. It's a real honor that you'd ask me out. But, you know, I, I mean, I enjoy being friends with you, but I think that's really all I'm looking for with that. Thank you very much. Now, a guy can take that. He's not going to go home, you know, and sob. And, well, some might. But, I mean, most aren't going to go home, you know, and just lose it over that. So, you know, it's okay. But it should be an honor, and we should see it that way as we're thinking about one another. Third, it is possible to be in love with love instead of in love with a person. I see a lot of people, and they think, I just, I just would love to be dating someone. I just would love to be married. I would just love to be in love. And I think, well, you know, it's good. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's just that, you know, sometimes people are just in love with the idea of being in love more than they're in love with a person. So don't do that. Fourth thing is, you know, if you walk with Jesus, there are some people that just won't want to date you. And you need to know that. Now, if you're a person and you're trying to walk with Jesus and you keep finding that, you know, the person that you're wanting to date just doesn't want you to do that. Well, then don't date them. I mean, good night. That's not rocket science. I mean, you know, just don't do that. So begin to figure out, you know, your allegiance needs to be first and foremost 100% to God. He is the one who, who is the only one worthy of that. So uh, now what do you do? I'm sure the thought has been going on through some people's minds. Hey, that's really good advice. I wished I would have heard some of this like four years ago. Um, because it would have been a lot easier and I would have not made near the mistakes. Um, so what if you've already blown it? Well, let me give you three quick things that I would tell you about that. You know, if you found yourself, you've already blown it. Well, number one, just confess any questionable activity or actions and just repent. Turn away from it. You know, in John 8, in John 8, Jesus comes up and um, some men have decided that they're going to uh, they're going to bring this woman before Jesus. And so they, 
they drag this woman and says they catch her in the very act of adultery. Now, I've always thought about it. Really, in the very act of adultery, you catch her. And you, and you kind of wonder, well, that means she's probably not by herself, you know, if she's in the very act. And yet there's only one that they drag before Jesus. Have you noticed that? And they drag her and they throw her before Jesus. They say, hey, what do you think we ought to do here? Stoner? I mean, she is committed. And Jesus just begins to write. Now, we don't know what he was writing. But he just begins to write in the sand. And he says, okay, you're right. That's what the law says. Let's stone her. The one who has never sinned, you pick up the first stone and let her have it. And one by one, they begin to peel off. And then Jesus says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, there's, there's none here who accuse me, Lord. He said, well, then I don't accuse you either. Now go and sin no more. And you see, we look a lot of times and we think, isn't God just, doesn't he really just say, Hey, I don't accuse you any, I don't accuse you either. Isn't that all he says? No. He also says, go and sin no more. So if you found yourself and you're in this, you know, you have forgiveness that can come there from Christ. But the thing we need to do afterwards is repent, turn away from the way we've been going, begin to walk with Jesus. The second thing I tell you, set your heart to please God in this area and to really get to know him. Set God to Set your heart to please God in this area and to really know him. And third and last, um, if this has been a real struggle for you and this is something, you know, control some of the physical contact, control the appearance, treat each other as brothers and sisters. You know, uh, Except in Arkansas, you know, that's pretty understandable. You know, I mean, just, you know, treat each other as brothers and sisters. You know, just, you know, handle those relationships rightly. If you're from Arkansas, I was just kidding, honestly. But, uh, you know, um, treat each other well there. You know, I had a friend back in uh, the day, and he was, uh, he was a young lad. His name was Boyd. And this guy Boyd was... Uh, Boyd, before he came to Christ, had lived uh, a, a bit of a colorful background and had, hadn't done real well in this whole area of, uh, of romantic relationships. And so uh, he began to date this girl, Pam. And they'd been dating for a while. Actually, they'd been dating for, at that point, about uh, four or five months. And, you know, Pam would come back to, you know, her place where she lived, you know, and the girl's like, oh... How's it going with Boyd? And she's like, yeah, I think it's going good. And Oh, great. So has, has like, Boyd kissed you or something? And she's like, yeah, no. And they're like, no. And before long, they're kind of like, I mean, Boyd likes you, right? Yeah, and she's like, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, Boyd likes girls, right? I mean, you know, and she's like, I, I think so. Uh, you know, and uh, so they begin to, so she's kind of wondering about this stuff after a while herself. She's wondering, what the heck's going on here with Boyd? You know, all these other guys, I mean, they're just kind of, you know, uh, acting very different. What's up with Boyd? And so uh, one day Boyd uh, is going along and, you know, they've been dating for several months and Boyd just uh, pulls her aside one day and says, hey, you know, Pam, I just wanted you to know, um, you've probably noticed that I, I haven't really, like, you know, kissed you or anything like that. She goes, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I noticed that, yeah, you know, I noticed that. He said, yeah. He said, well, 
you know, here's the thing. He said, you know, before I really started walking with God, I really blew it in this area several times. And I just decided that I really want to honor God in the way that, uh, in the way I handle this relationship with you. And I'm really enjoying this relationship. And so I've decided that, you know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't planning on kissing you un, uh, unless uh, you were the gal I married because I just thought it would be good for me, for who I am, for where I am, just to step back in that regard. And he goes, so in case you're wondering that, he goes, I just didn't want things to appear awkward with us. And she goes, well, that's, that's great. And so they went on. They kept dating. You know, she said later on when I was talking to her, she said, you know what? She said, that was so freeing. She said, because we would pull up. And, like, if there were two or three of us in the car and Boyd was driving, I could be the first one he dropped off. I could be the last one he dropped off. It didn't matter. I'd get out of the car. Goodbye, Boyd. Goodbye, Pam. Had a great time. Me too. And everybody else goes, should we get somewhere? Do we need to move out of here? You know, and she's like, no, no, you're fine. And they're like, oh. And all these other couples would watch it and go, huh, never thought of that. <laughs> you know what? They have been married now for uh, right at 25 years. And they've got wonderful kids, right? Happiest, one of the happiest couples you'll ever meet. He does kiss her, so in case you're wondering about that, too, you know. <laughs> Obviously, I have several kids running around. But, uh, you know, uh, what I would encourage you is this. If this has been an area that you've blown in the past, set some boundaries. It's a good idea to do this. If this is the edge of the cliff, this is not a good place to build the boundary. Back it up a little bit and build the boundary. And what you'll find is, boy, that will really bless your heart. It will bless the heart of the people you're dating. And God will really bless us. Now, what I'd encourage you to do is this. There's all kinds of good verses in the Bible. So I would just, if I were you, begin to look at some of these about relationships over time. Sit down and simply see what it says. Make observations. And then out of those observations, begin make application to your own life about that. And as you do, what you'll find is this. Life goes a whole lot better whether it's in uh, everyday relationships or romantic ones as well. So let me pray for us. We'll invite the band back up. Father, thank you for the life of uh, Solomon. Thank you for the life of David. Lord, help us to realize that if men like this can uh, stumble, um, we need to be doubly on duty and we need to really be leaning into you and trusting you paying attention to what you've said so help us to be wise enough to do that father that we can really live life in a way that uh, really does bring honor and glory to you and we pray that in jesus name amen would you stand and join us for worship